so we were able to provide him with a new battery. And from the moment his mom sat him in that chair, he pushed the joystick on it. And he said, look at me now, mom, I'm independent. Hello and welcome there, Independent Life Nation. We are bringing Carolyn Growley, Executive Director for the Center for Independent Living of Northwest Florida. She comes to us from Michigan and she worked in the Independent Living Network in Michigan and came to Florida around 2018, was steeped in experience in independent living and has brought a lot of the wisdom with her from Michigan. And oh boy, she represents Michigan strong. And in this episode, she talks to us about her path into disability, both at age 10, uh, when she got an onset of diabetes, and when she then started losing her vision while she was in college to the point now where she's legally blind, talks about how she really had to adapt to it, and in that process really found her niche in becoming a social worker and caring about the welfare of other people. She talks to us about the importance of repairing the world and doing it through her organization, her center there, which embraces dignity, respect, ethics, integrity, and diversity. That's their organizational values. And as you hear her talk about what her center does there in Northwest Florida, it's amazing. She's got a staff of 10 wonderful people that just do incredible work for their community. The level of which that they care for their community, especially during these times, is so inspiring. She talks to us about resilience, why that's important, how we all need to come together around disability to be more kind, to be more generous, and that when we do this, we really open up doors by telling our story for other people to grow, to learn, and just to be the best version of themselves possible. Basically, in this episode, she talks a lot about what we've been hitting on in terms of the dojo, sympathia, that we're all a small piece of a larger organism, that we need to do the very best that we can in each and every one of the days of our lives that we're being given, because we're not promised tomorrow, and we want to leave this world better than when we found it. She is so inspiring. It's infectious. Enjoy the episode. So Carolyn, do you remember the first time where we met? I do. I sure do. I got to meet you in Tallahassee for a meal before we dove into all the work of the legislative session. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And one of the things that really impressed me uh, about meeting you the day after when we went to the Capitol and we had, you know, our assigned representatives that we were going to meet and advocate for our legislative agenda, you were like, I don't know how fresh into the state of Florida from Michigan you were, but it it was fresh, right? Like how long had you been in Florida from Michigan? That was day one. <laughs> yeah, I knew it was super fresh. So, so here you are from Michigan in the state of Florida, now at the Capitol, talking to our state's senators and representatives and advocating for our state's independent living network legislative agenda. And you were like, yeah, I'll just, you know, sit co-pilot on this and just learn. And, and you did that. But there were points where you 
in and were just perfect and in the pocket and knew what to say, when to say, how to say it, when not to speak and et cetera. And so I just want to acknowledge you off the bat for seeing how well you just really just jumped into it and what a natural you were. And I knew right away you had lots of experience in the area of advocacy, disability, and independent living. So uh, yeah, very memorable first time to meet you, meeting with politicians. <laughs> well, thank you. It was wonderful to partner with you. And I thought that we did a great job being uh, a team at that point. Yeah. And it's just, it's wonderful to be here in Florida and have our 15 centers across the state be able to count on each other. It's, it's yeah. great. Yeah, and, and it is. And I also felt a kind of kindred spirits with you. Uh, you and I both share a low vision disability. Mm-hmm. And uh, remember, like, of course, the if anyone's been to the Capitol in Tallahassee, like, I don't know how many floors are on that building. And that building connects to another building. And there's these hallways that zigzag. And it's like this maze, you know, like a mouse in a maze. So you and I were teamed up together. And I, I was tickled about our way of navigating through there. We did pretty well, though, I think. I think we did too. We, it's, at one point, I think we even took the stairs to try to get some yeah. of yourself faster. Yeah. Those elevators. Yeah, that's right. That's Do right. not go where you want them to go all the time. No, no. Yeah, they end at certain floors and begin at certain floors. Super, super confusing, but it's always good to take stairs when we can to get some physical activity. But so, Carolyn, for our listeners, if you could, you know, please maybe start out and talk to us about how disability has impacted you personally and professionally. Well, I think one thing that I think everybody um, and our listeners should understand is that disability impacts all of us. And how it just impacts all of us is it could be any, any form of disability, whether it's um, one that you have that's changing in life, that's new and onset as you've grown older, or um, something that people can see or something people can't see. But uh, disability is, is part of the way of living. It's part of life and about, we're getting pretty close to 25% of the population having some sort of disability that's part of their own makeup. And as well as that every individual at some point in time works with, has a family member, sees somebody at an activity that they're doing who has a disability because people with disabilities can literally do something like everybody else can. Sometimes we just do it a little bit differently. And for myself, my first um, formal interaction with disability was probably looking at my own grandparents and having uh, several of my grandparents, um, several, you only have four grandparents, but multiple of my (laughs) grandparents having uh, different disabilities that were part of their life. And So I knew from a young child what it was like for family to have a person who would have significant and profound hearing loss. And I knew what it was like for somebody who was obese. And I knew what it was like for somebody who had adult diabetes. And then when I was 10, I became a person who had diabetes. I had uh, childhood onset diabetes that followed. It appeared after I had broken my arm. And the discussion is that when I broke my arm, it triggered something in my immune system, which allowed the diabetes, which is a gene in my system, actually from both sides of the family. My grandfather on the other side had uh, a sister who had had 
juvenile diabetes. So there was some genealogical history mm. of, of diabetes. And so I had diabetes and that was at age 10. And when I was in college, I was sitting in a, a class in the pathology course because I thought I was going to go on to be a doctor uh, of medicine. And I was sitting in that class and what the instructor was drawing on the board and what he was saying wasn't making sense to me. And I didn't sit way in the back in a huge auditorium, but I was far enough back that I thought, well, maybe I just need to move a little closer. And I moved closer during the lecture, couldn't see more of what he was talking about. And I moved a little closer and still didn't see. I thought after I've already moved now a few times, I need to wait and go up after class and talk to him. And so I went to go up after class to talk to him, to discuss how what he was drawing and what I was seeing was not the same. And when I got up to the board to then talk to him, what was on the board was what he was saying. And I just wasn't seeing it. And that was, you know, probably my vision had been changing for a little while there. Um, I had started on the insulin pump. We think that maybe that significant change of very tight control might have triggered that to happen. And uh, I was in the insulin pump study. And so it was new for everybody. And at that time, we were just getting me into tight control. And uh, I said, oh my gosh, I got to go figure out what's going on here. And that was my first real exposure. Well, I might've had association with disability and had children, you know, other fellow students in my classes or other places who also had disabilities. Um, I didn't have that profound self side of it. I had the diabetes, but I, like we figured it out. Mm -hmm. I figured out how to cope with it. I, I swam, I was a competitive swimmer, downhill skier. I was active in my high school, went on to college at University of Michigan. uh, And then until this session in this classroom, when I didn't know what was happening, what was different there, that was my first true profound piece. And went on to find out, yes, you have diabetic retinopathy and, uh, you know, it's, it, we're going to try to treat what we can and we'll see what it's going to be. And now my, my vision is uh, no vision in my left eye. I have some slight shadows sometimes in some spots of the eye, but I can't functionally use that eye at all. And in my right eye, I am 2200. And so that's what I, what I have for my exposure to disability and found out about CILs very shortly after that and learned from others what might be the makeup of disability or supports or what could I do to be functional in my future and made that hard decision that uh, I wasn't going to go on to medical school. I wasn't going to do that because I was concerned what was going to happen if I was in med school and I lost the rest of my vision and how would I cope and how would I do the work and would I end up with this big bill and not be able to pay it back and not be able to have a career. And so Ms. Hinman, my second grade teacher will recall, she had a hard time having me be quiet. <laughs> so I've been advocating for most of my life and, uh, yeah. and my parents were active in the community too. And so I certainly saw some uh, very positive experiences about fighting for the right right and fight for the right thing and so I decided I'd go into social work and I went into social work and awesome later became part of the center 
So, so I want to go back a little bit in terms of when you started, I think both points, you know, where, where you were, uh, I believe you said you were around 10 when you got diagnosed with diabetes. And then in college, when you started noticing deterioration in your eyesight, I'm interested in knowing more about what was that like from an emotional, psychological standpoint to come to terms with having a, a diagnosis? And processing that what was that journey like for you so i mean it was uh overwhelming because i didn't know those resources i was uh -huh. um pretty active in the community and knowing who to ask for what and where to go and where to send people and all those kinds of things because i was involved in a lot of different organizations and doing a lot of different things in different programs as a as a student as a teenager as even a young child we were engaged in our the world around us mm -hmm. but I didn't really know what to do to ask for help or who to talk to and so that was scary yeah. I certainly of course went to an eye doctor right away um, but I I didn't know what was coming I didn't know how that was changing I didn't know what that meant I was able to thankfully find a CIL because there was a, a low vision support group that was taking place there. So I was able to talk to some others and to hear what um, they were doing and, and to uh -huh. see that there was, you know, a whole, a whole lot of differences even to types of vision impairments or diagnoses of why people have vision impairments and different ways, different people coped. Some had mm -hmm. folding canes, some had solid canes, some, some had, uh, service animals. So I was learning all this stuff, all this information at one time. It was also a great sense of loss. Um, yeah. I was very independent and I was all of a sudden starting to feel more dependent and that wasn't who yeah. I was or wanted to be. Um, I, I was able to get some occupational therapy to, to learn how to maneuver town with, with my cane and uh, later took uh, some time and went to a division of blind services training center. Uh, and that got me a little bit more orientation to what that disability might be, but it was changing. And for a little while, I was able to drive with a special lens um, and then had a, a couple of really scary things that took place and knew that that probably wasn't a good idea. And um, <laughs> needed to find out I had already found out before that about what kinds of transportation were in town because of course when I first came to the university um, nobody was allowed to have cars so I was already using the bus some but then as my vision started to decrease I didn't know necessarily where the bus stops were or you know to find the stop or was it safe for me to travel from that bus stop to where I needed to go and uh, later uh, became eligible for utilizing the paratransit program. And then that was able to get me, you know, to classes or to the doctor or to the grocery store, wherever I was needing to go at the time, and then later employment. And so that was a good thing. And then learning the pieces of figuring out how do I, how do I ask for something that I need with an accommodation? Because I was so good about helping others, but how could I help myself? Like, what did that yeah, look like? And right. how much different was that? And was I now 
seen as being less than I was before. And in fact, I think that some of the some of the, the disability piece and my association with the organizations and the people that I got to be associated with actually made me stronger and made me um, more independent or more vigilant about, I, I want this, I wanna do things. I wanna be able uh -huh. to, to get where I gotta go and what I wanna do. And one of the people I was able to meet was in that low vision support group was a, a social worker. And I mean, that was the other part of it that helped to push that button to like, okay, yeah, I can do this. Um, that person's doing it and they don't have very much vision. I can figure this out. Having no idea how much, <laughs> how much yeah. reading and writing I was going to right. be doing because oh my that, gosh. that was yeah. not, that wasn't truly in my plan of uh, action, but uh, uh, certainly have a lot of that and doing stuff in large print and having stuff read aloud. And back in those days, a lot of stuff on a cassette player. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, I had a progressive eye disease, you know, disorder too. Mm -hmm. And for me, one of the most challenging moments for me to accept uh, the condition and, and where I was at was when my vision was, you know, so, you know, bad enough to where I couldn't drive anymore. Mm -hmm. And that, that right. level of independence, you know, it took me a good two or three years to come to and accept that. Right. And to then just, you know, kind of, all right, this is what it is. And, and emotionally, it was tough for me doing that. I also went back to school, you know, with very limited like resources that people have nowadays, like you're saying, like cassettes. And certainly that was in play. But the books that I was were assigned to my classes were so obscure. They didn't have audio cassette books. Like they literally had to have like a student at the Disability Resource Center read into yeah. a microphone. That's what I had to have. These books. Yeah. Yeah. So super time intensive and, you know, all those other kind of things and to ask for it and all that other stuff was a, was a huge thing. And I don't know about you, but. I had to figure out ways of studying smarter and more efficiently than my mm -hmm. classmates, knowing that, you know, for every hour that they put in, it would take me four or five hours mm -hmm. you know, to, to get what they would get done in an hour. So I, I don't know if that, if that was also something that you had to figure out on your own as well. Yeah. I mean, there, there was that part and there was also, uh, because the tools were older, um, I mean, even now, if you fall asleep, you fall asleep and you still miss something that you were supposed to be listening to. But I can remember, you know, if you had a, a person reading that particular entry or it was something that you didn't really care to listen to and you just fall asleep, you had no idea. So dry. Absolutely yeah. no idea where you fell off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, it, and you couldn't, um, well, you could speed up the, the sound it didn't say, it didn't say page, whatever. There was no way to find that exactly. You were guesstimating and trying to go back. And so there were so many hours of like wasted time of being inefficient. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I'm not sure like how much people outside of disability knows that it just takes like, it's again, it's that three to one ratio, one hour that someone else puts in. It's a, you know, three hours uh, people with disabilities or more need to put in just to get the same output. And so because time is finite, how do we do it smarter? How do we really like kind of narrow in our, our, our time to spend and, and doing all those other kind of things? And I got to say, like when I went back to get my doctorate, you know, I'm a, a little more senior in age than uh, my classmates. One of the things that I found to be an advantage was is that 
like, thank God for social media and video games. Like I wasn't into it, but my classmates were. And so the amount of time that they were spending on that, I was studying, you know, it almost equilibrated for it. It was almost a competitive advantage for me that they were so sucked up into that, that like, you know, they did probably didn't spend as much time studying as they should have. So I feel like that helped keep me in the game. <laughs> well, and that's, and that's a really um, great piece to, to talk about because that's, that is really different. And, and I, it sounds like you were much more effective at that than I was. I was, I was not a video games person and mm -hmm. my, my was, my um, disabilities were there when it was Pac-Man or the earlier stages of, uh, <laughs> the earlier stages of some yeah. of the, um, I love the eighties, <laughs> the, the programs, but yeah. Uh -huh. um, so that was, that was great, but um, sure. uh, I was, I was trying to still, I think that was some of that was some of the devastating side of it was the, I'm trying to keep up with everybody and still do everything that everybody else is doing. And yeah. certainly I could, but I needed to, I needed to figure out which things was I going to do? Like what, how was yeah. I going to set that priority and, mm -hmm. and what was going to make the, the systems work better for me? Um, yeah. And, and who could I ask for that? Like finding the, the students um, services for, for students with yeah. disabilities office was like, oh, thank God, kind of thing. But then you still had to go out and be your own best advocate because sure That's you right. got a letter, but the letter doesn't tell a story and the letter doesn't speak for you. Nope. The letter no, just doesn't. allows you to speak, uh, gives you permission to speak for yourself. And yeah. Uh, and so that's a- Gotta go out and do yeah, the work. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So one of the things that you brought up too, that I think was uh, really interesting was that, you know, you talked about your parents being hard of hearing and also well, grandfather, obesity, Great. grandfather, Great. I'm Excuse sorry. Me. Grand, and, grandmother, grandmother being hard of hearing. And anyway, sorry, uh -huh. yes, sorry. Yeah. And, and as you're bringing that up and, you know, I was hearing diabetes and what really jumped out at me was the, the comorbidity with disability that's out there. And I know you kind of had some experience with the University of Michigan and public health. And one of the things that, you know, I do come from the area of public health that is very much a, an, an issue for me is that how people with disabilities are two to three times more likely to have heart disease, twice as likely to have diabetes. It depends on the cancer, but in aggregate, twice as likely to have cancer, three and a half times more likely to have clinical depression, respiratory disease three to seven times depending on the respiratory etc 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 like the comorbidity from preventable diseases right. and disability is big time so when you were bringing that up for me that's one of the biggest yeah. issue areas that i feel a, a real draw to how about you what are some of the big issue areas in, in terms of disabilities that really pull at your heartstrings that you're find yourself to be a big champion and advocate for yeah so i think that there's um there is a piece of of what you were just sharing and i and i just want to be clear for folks too that some things for people are not preventable so you know like you were talking about diabetes so there's type one and type two diabetes. And for folks who have type one diabetes, um, it is very different than the type two. Mm -hmm. There are certainly lots of um, 
ways to control type one diabetes. And there's also um, lots of things to control type two diabetes, but they're, they're different beasts and, mm-hmm. um, and manifest themselves very differently. And so just that, that piece that the type two diabetes is often preventable, but it, you can also get type two diabetes from medications that are given as well, which if you need the medication for something else, um, who, for folks who have type two, then, you know, it, it, it's not as preventable in that way in some, in some instances. Sure. Uh, and then also um, for those of us who are insulin dependent, I mean, no insulin, no Carolyn, you know, I mean, that's, it's, I'm, I'm going to be very, very sick very quickly if I'm not um, taking the the insulin in order to be, to help control it. But I, I had to decide for myself, was diabetes going to control me or was I going to control diabetes? And by my controlling diabetes, I get to live my life. And so for me, that's a big piece. So and being able to talk with individuals about their particular uh, disability that they're experiencing. Um, sometimes people want to not share or not hot or not, you know, talk about it or aren't comfortable. Absolutely their choice. Everybody has their own choice to do. I always want people to exercise their right and be able to do what they want to do. But I really try to be a, a spokesperson and advocate for why sharing information about your disability can can open doors as well. It doesn't just shut doors. Um, yeah. Being able to be self-confident with yourself and knowing what you can and can't do for what you do need help with or things like that is really important. I remember even before I had the vision impairment, I was in uh, college and I was working in the emergency room and I was having some problem with my diabetes that day. And I was just really sluggish and it was, it was uh, pre the insulin pump and it was, uh, and I just really didn't know what was going on. Um, But then given the insulin and my sugars were coming down and then I needed to have some food. Well, there was a policy you couldn't eat in the emergency room. If you were a staff team member, you could eat in the lounge, but you couldn't eat in the, in the emergency room. And I was a, a trauma bay clerk. I couldn't just walk away uh-huh. <laughs> at the time. You know, I was, I was there to help make sure yeah. that we were getting x-rays or bloods were drawn, that they were sent, that they, everything was happening. Um, and a doctor wanted to write me up because I had apple juice at my desk. Whoa. And I was like, I have diabetes. And it was pre, that was pre ADA as well. Um, wow. Certainly not pre um, title seven. Um, uh-huh. And of course, the hospital was getting federal money, so they needed to allow for accommodations, but I didn't even have that language yet for myself. But sure. I just said, no, I have diabetes and, and I have to be able to do my job and I can't do my job if my blood sugar's low and I need this juice to be right here right now. And yeah. like, so I just going back to that Carol Hinman piece from second grade, <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I was, I was definitely an advocate. So, um, so that made a difference, you know, to make sure that I had what I needed when I needed it. And, and so that's one piece. The other is transportation. Um, mm. You know, I need transit to get where I'm going and I want to go everywhere that I want to go. 
I want to go where I want to be. I want to go where other people get to be. I want to travel. I want to be able to be different places. And, yeah. you know, that, that was also, you know, really, it's really challenging as a parent with disability when you have a sick child or when that child needs to go to an out of town game or, mm -hmm. uh, you know, they're having a performance, but you're at work and you can't get to school and, you know, all those kinds of things. So you have to really learn to um, balance, you know, like how do I, how do I finagle my schedule so that I can get it all in? Cause everything takes, like we already were talking about, yeah. it's a little different. And so it often takes a little bit longer. And uh, so fighting the fight for accessible transit, having more transit options. Um, I can remember being part of a, a campaign in, in Michigan, which was about more buses, more places, more often. They take you everywhere you want to go for all of life's circumstances. And when we started that conversation, it just kind of came out of some of the information going. And I could just remember being at the transit meeting and saying, I need everybody with me now. And it was all the people that were in the community that were there. And I said, here we go, more buses, more places, more transit, more, here we go. You know, and we were just, we we're just saying more buses, more places. <laughs> I can more see you <laughs> in your arms. Yeah. Anyway, and, and it yeah. was great. And then of course it became an election, election type uh, piece where the community had uh -huh. to vote for it. And cool. we, we ended up with more transit. It was wonderful. Wow. That's uh, no easy feat. Wow. Yeah, no. And then, um, you know, I, as you said, you met me in um, January of 18 when I started. I literally started work on January 22nd and that was at night. And that next morning, January 23rd, we were in the legislature. <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. um, and I had to figure out getting I, of course, I knew how to fly a plane. I didn't fly the plane, but I knew how to take a plane <laughs> to take a uh -huh. flight from Michigan to Florida and got off in Tallahassee. But then I was yeah. like, who's going to the Capitol? Who am I meeting? Where are we meeting? What's happening? And you know, yeah. um, one of our colleagues, Robert, was very nice and and drove me. And I said, like, thank God. Okay, yeah. I don't have to figure yeah. out how to find the building yeah. in the new city. Yeah, yeah uh, he was great. And then uh, when I became a resident here in uh, Escambia County in Pensacola, which is where our center is. I found out there was a part of the community that didn't have transit. And I said, well, why is that? I thought it was the whole county. And they said, yes, it's the whole county. Well, the beach is part of the county and I'm a taxpayer paying for those county buses to be going around. Why is a person with disability can't I go to the beach? Well, and it was all this song and dance. I said, no, this is, I'm telling you, I want busing from here to there. And I, I want to go. <laughs> and yeah, I have all places to go. Get me to the beach. Yeah, right. no doubt. I mean, yeah, I moved, Florida. I moved to Michigan. Florida yeah. so I could be warmer and closer to water. Don't right. keep me from the beach. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt. Uh, anyway. Yeah, I, I love how you're hitting on transportation. And for those who drive, um, you know, just imagine not being able to drive, how you would get around. And I know that for some people who lose their license through a driving violation or their cars in the shop or they, you're getting repaired or some, they, they have a slight taste of, all right, now you got to get to work or you got to get to the food store. Or like you said, you want to, you got kids and you need a transportation. Um, you want something for recreation, shoot on over to the beach. 
It is so hard. I, that's where I felt like, again, where I struggled the most because, you know, that independence of being able to just hop in a car and go. And, you know, I, I lament sometimes hearing, you know, people complaining about, ah, oh, I'm so tired of driving. I'm like, I would love to be tired of driving. You know, I would love right. to, you know, be able to have that. And, and I do this in the same way that, you know, I, so I don't know what it's like to necessarily have access issues in and out of my house. So I always, every time I cross a threshold or doorway, I try to think about that. And I encourage listeners that think about if you lost your car, how would you get around? How would you be able to do the things that you normally do without having that ability to do that? And it is such a big issue, like you're saying there. Now to go back to your second point, I believe was after your good clarification on not all of these chronic diseases are preventable was that trying to encourage people to meet them where they're at, but at the same time, open them up to tell their story, to talk about disability, it opens doors, et cetera. You know, I had my own journey into that in the sense that I ran from it at first, was embarrassed by it, you know, didn't want to ask for help, super pride, ego, and, and those kind of things. And so it's been a progression over time for me to get to a point to where uh, I'm more open about it than I ever have been and continue to get more open about it. And now I find myself in a place where you're at where I wanna offer up that opportunity for those that are ready to start opening up about it and everything else like that. But I sometimes do get conflicted about, I don't wanna do malpractice and push people who aren't ready, but at the same time, you know, sometimes we gotta get people out of their comfort zones to be able to open up and you know, have the ability to tell their story because it's gonna help other people and including themselves as they tell it. So how do you equilibrate that by you know, wanting to meet people where they're at, but also challenging them maybe in a way that's gonna be healthy for them and for others? Yeah, so I, I think I do it in um, a variety of ways. And I guess the other side of it is, while at the same time, I guess wanting to own who we each are and being in control of who I am or, you know, and that others being in control of who they are, you know, you have to do it with some of what our organizational values are, which is with dignity and respect, with ethics and integrity, trying to look at the fact that we don't know everything and there's a great diversity of, of how to approach things and how either an individual or their family or their culture or their religion may look at different aspects. In my case, I happen to be Jewish. And so tikkun olam, which is about uh, that, that phrase is about repairing the world. And it's not about Ooh. fixing it so that it's um, something goes away. It's about, uh-huh. it's about making it right, whatever the right is. And so for that part of it, being able to help identify, you know, something that you might be seeing um, if somebody is, you know, losing a job because they didn't want to share that they had a disability and they needed something, you know, sometimes as individuals, we want to be really proud, but we can be too proud in, in not being um, true enough to ourselves to say that it's okay that this is something that I need or that is a part of who I am, just as I'm, I can sit here and I can say, you know, I'm a, a Caucasian woman with blonde hair, hazel eyes, I'm five foot two and wish I was thinner and could keep going on and on, right? I can say I have diabetes, I have um, legal blindness, I've sustained more than one traumatic brain injury and, and I am who I am. It's okay to be who I am. And while I don't quite go as far as to say off with the rest of the world, 
Um, I, I say, you know, accept me for who I am. If I, I can, I can contribute and I want to be part of things. And I also think it's like really important to help give people knowledge of others that might be like themselves, which is that peer support, but then even educating like employers and cities and community groups, et cetera, about what is disability awareness and what does it mean to be sensitive, but not be patriarchal in our way that we do that, where we, where we start to try to be telling people what they should do and being able to show, show a guided path, just like you might for those of us who are visually impaired, where you're asking us what we need first before you come and grab our arm, <laughs> like uh-huh. let us take your arm so that we can follow or, sure. or tell you where we want to be led to. And then uh-huh. not just leave us in the middle of the woods, but actually give us some sort of orientation about where we're at. And, and so there's that piece of being able to, to share what you're seeing. And there, there wouldn't be anybody in this world who's met Carolyn before who wouldn't say, oh yeah, she's a little bit blunt, isn't she? Um, so I could be pretty direct. <laughs> uh, it's good not to wonder what is on people's minds. It's kind of refreshing sometimes, you know, because a lot of people do hold back. Yeah. yeah, so being able to at least, you know, say this is what I'm seeing or I'm hearing uh, or, sure. you know, I know so-and-so who's somebody you might want to talk to because they've experienced the same piece or you know here's an opportunity where you might be able to learn about you know a different type of disability maybe has opportunities to have a work accommodation you know so Mm -hmm. being able to show somebody the askjan.org website and being able to ask jan for anybody who doesn't know is the job accommodations network and there is just a whole litany of types of disabilities on there and uh-huh. ways that as community members, we can po- post information about, you know, what's an effective coping mechanism or accommodation that might work for that. Or, you know, here's something that your employer has to do for you or. Ask Jan. Let's put that in our show notes. I know you're sending me some things to link up, so we'll make sure to have that in there too. Yeah. Ask Jan. So it's, it's askjan.org and it's A-S-K-J-A-N.org and that's the Job Accommodations Network and they're just wonderful people to talk to when you need to talk, but they have a great website that's accessible and it has a lot of content on it that's very usable. Also, you know, being able to reach out to your local CILs we're here in Florida. We've got 15 across the country. We've got close to 600 different types of centers with independent living. We all have basic core values that are, we're required to, to be called a center for independent living, or as some people call us, independent living centers. Of course, as you know, Tony, nobody lives at any of our centers, but we try to help make sure that those opportunities out in the community are better for everyone so that people can make the choice to live their most independent self at whatever that means to be able to use their empowerment to get what they need and want and yeah you know so it's really important but being able to sit down and just have those conversations and it's not a it's not a one-time conversation just as you were sharing about the adjustment to your disability um, you know, my adjustment to my disability has been at different times as well. And just and a great example of that is so, yeah, I got more transportation available and got rides to the beach. 
but then I had to be an hour away in Molino at night and I could get an Uber there, but I couldn't get back. <laughs> I, I did, I went out because we were doing our, um, our strategic planning and we were having community meetings in different places and never thought that I wouldn't be able to get back. I couldn't reserve a ride with transportation because I didn't know when I was coming back. And wow. I was under the impression that I could only have a will call ride from a medical appointment or from the grocery store. Whereas here they've allowed more will calls. Maybe that's because Carolyn keeps pushing every button she can to get things mm -hmm. more. I don't know. Um, I can't maybe. I can't really claim that one here. I've certainly pushed it everywhere else. I'd like I'd like busing 24-7 in every part of the country. Um, every part of the world would even be better. Um, yeah. But I, I had to start figuring out what am I going to do? How am I going to get home? Who am sure. I going to call? What am I? How is this going to happen? And it was really scary. And when I say really scary, I mean, I was at a library. It wasn't like I was in the middle of no place, but the uh -huh. library was going to close. And what was I going to do? How was I going to get from there? There was, I couldn't reach any Uber. I couldn't reach any cab company. The transit system wasn't coming to get me because it wasn't reserved. And, you know, I, I didn't know what I was going to do. And it became, I mean, I, even as I tell the story now, I can feel like that panic, sure. like coming over yeah. me. And Being when I stuck. say that panic, yeah. I mean, obviously I figured it out. You're seeing me today. I didn't get, I wasn't, uh, <laughs> I didn't become chopped liver someplace. And yeah, and, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, That's, um, it's, but it's, it's good to see you. Yeah. Well, well, hey, I'm going to, I'm going to back you up just a little bit here. Um, remind me of the Jewish word that you mentioned that means repair. What is that? Tikkun alum. Kun alum. Right, now it's T-I-K-K-A-N or T-I-K-K-U-N. All right. O-L-A-M. And, and of course, those are, those would be Hebrew letters, but I'm, uh, I'm now not sure which vowel that is in yeah, Hebrew to yeah. tell you which vowel it is. Yeah, I want to kind of go to the essence of what that really is all about. That really, you know, I think is very powerful. I believe you, you said repair the world. Mm -hmm. um, what does it mean to you to repair the world in disability terms? Yeah, so, I mean, I, I'm not a... Um, a Bible study person in that sense, or, a, you know, in, in the Jewish faith, it's, it's the Torah, the five books of Moses. But um, I mean, I know, I know pieces, of course. And um, I just think that every, all of us can always become better. Mm -hmm. uh, and in repairing the world, I mean, one of uh, those pieces is that we should be generous and care for others and provide opportunities to make everyone's situation better when 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 we make somebody else's situation better or we make our own situation better it typically makes it better for others as well right yeah. and i i know for myself that um when i give to the world or when i give to organizations and i volunteer or i make a difference in somebody else's life um when i am able to do that i feel like i get even more than they get from it right so true yeah and kindness generosity kindness generosity yeah. that that same piece again with valuing others yeah. being responsible respectful courageous being able to uh, take on hardship but find opportunity or meaning in it and, yeah. and figuring out obstacles the way yeah 
Yeah, and figuring out, you know, what's the next path that, that will help make it better than it is now. And, you know, just one story from here, which is like an example of something that, that we do at our center. And I know many centers do it, is that we have a refurbish and reuse part of our makeup of funds that we have. And we also have a loan closet and we had a community member uh, and this this one for me is very emotional. Um, we have a community member who um, was 17 and he had significant disability and he was in a manual chair and he could only go to activities where somebody else pushed him. Mm-hmm. He only, he was always with an adult in school, always with an adult at home. He couldn't choose where he went for conversations, where he ate lunch. He didn't get on and off the bus by himself. He didn't make decisions of what path to take down the sidewalk or the road. And um, he was able to get a uh, used power chair, uh, but it unfortunately needed battery. So he couldn't use it when he received it. So we were able to provide him with a, a new battery And when we provided that new battery, from the moment his mom sat him in that chair, he pushed the remote on it, the joystick on it. And he said, look at me now, mom, I'm independent. So for me, I mean, it brings tears to me because I didn't have that struggle for myself, but it brings tears to me tears of joy because here's somebody without anybody even telling him to say that he's living our mission yeah, that's right um he's out there being able to be part of life he chooses when he gets to school who does he go talk to when he comes in the building he gets to decide that he wants to go left instead of right or he gets to decide i want to sit at xyz table or I want to go to outside today instead of eating in the lunchroom or whatever it was that he was going to do. But for 17 years, he didn't have that choice. And I'm not saying that, you know, people didn't ask him things or that mom didn't do something for him, but any of us put that in your own vision for a moment. You're a teenager. You're walking around everywhere you go with an adult and you're not walking, you're being pushed. And if they want to go a different way, or they didn't hear you, or they chose not to respect you, or whatever it might be that there was a circumstance there, you didn't get to free yourself from that person at all. This is a young man who's going to have supports all of his life. And every day he's going to have supports. But the fact that he can go do some things by himself at his will and that makes him feel independent, not just uh, that he adds priceless. more independence. It's priceless, absolutely priceless. The, the cost of a cost of a battery for a wheelchair, which, which is expensive, whatever the cost is, it's so worth it. it absolutely, it is. And, and so is the wheelchair. But like you know, balance that against the priceless yeah. freedom that he now has. Yeah, it's yeah. Just so, there's no there's no match for it. So when you tell that story. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I go back again to your organizational values mm-hmm. of dignity, ethics, integrity, 
respect. Diversity, right? Did I get those? Yes, are those diversity. Your organizational value? All right, yep. yeah, you rattled those off and those resonate with me because right. those are like the heart and soul of an organization, you know, right. that... You know, it's not the strategic goals, but it is the heart of an organization that, right. that really beats. And, you know, so I, I hear all of that in play as you've helped this gentleman here. And I want to know more about your center. So tell us about your center, what it does, and the impact it's having on others and in the community that you're in. So, so our center is in Pensacola, Florida, which is in the northwest corner of the state it's an awesome part of florida well, i love thank pensacola you. yeah, yeah. It's it, it is a it's a beautiful place home of the blue blue angels and best beaches Great around beaches. they got Fine they got a university pain. there they got a college there you teach at right yes there are multiple universities here in town i do teach in the social work department of the university of west florida awesome. um, there's also pensacola state college and um there's a Catholic university here in uh, Pensacola Christian College. That's it. And our organization covers from Escambia County, from that edge of Florida at the Alabama line, going to Walton County, uh, which is four counties, Escambia, Santa Rosa, Okaloosa, and then Walton. Um, we promote, educate, facilitate, assist, and advocate with and on behalf of people with disabilities in partnership with their communities to achieve their goals for independence. Our organizational vision is that we envision a world where people with disabilities have the freedom, choice, and connections to be able to control their own lives over all aspects of their lives so that they fully and equally participate in society. And, you know, we have this whole piece about equality and, and equity. In order to have equal participation, you have to have equity in those accommodations at times to make that happen. And that flexibility, and, and that is something that we are able to provide individuals who come here. We provide all five core services that Centers for Independent Living around the country provide, which are information and referral, independent living skills trainings, advocacy, which is individual and systems advocacy, peer support, and then uh, nursing facility transition, youth transition, and diversion. And when we do all of those pieces together, we give people lots of opportunities to be engaged and involved in all different aspects of their life and in the community. Uh, we also have uh, the Florida um, Alliance for Assistive Technology and Services, which is the FAST program. Mm -hmm. And we have a program with FTRI, which is the Florida Telecommunications Relay Incorporated. And with both of those programs, there are opportunities to have devices that are provided and demonstrated, shown, given examples of different ways to utilize them. Um, and they each have their own makeup of them that could be almost their own their own uh, podcast. Sure. Yeah. Um, oh, totally. Um, Assistive technologies. Yeah, there's a yeah, lot there. Yeah. yeah. We... We engage with community about policy and about access to services, about inclusion. Um, you know, we, we are involved with 
businesses, the government, um, the bus company, the uh, hospitals, the colleges, the, the schools, uh, you name an entity, we have no problem being in touch with and on behalf of the individual. We work with individuals no matter what age they are, no matter what race they are, no matter what identity they have, no matter which gender, which religion. Um, we want to make sure that if you're a person who's experiencing any type of disability or a family member who's coping with a family member who may have a disability or an employer or a colleague that you know where resources are and how to get them. And our organization has been here since 1980 and we hope to be here for a lot longer. Actually, my dream world, uh, Tony, would be that we wouldn't uh -huh. have to ever be here again. Right. I, yeah, I always tell everybody that, yeah. that I love being yeah. a social worker, but unfortunately, life has it such that uh, I'm probably going to have a job for forever yeah. <laughs> uh, because sadly, there's a lot of a lot of injustices in the do. world. And sure. and there's a lot of uh, work that's just ongoing in the other way. And if, if everybody had all that we needed, it would be great with that piece of trying to repair the world and trying to make sure that that part of that re the repairing of the world is getting access to what you need, getting um, the ability to know when somebody needs you. And, mm -hmm. and that piece is like being that listening ear. Um, yesterday, I was on the phone with a, a constituent from our area till well after eight o'clock at night. And mm -hmm. it was okay. I, they even say they apologized over and over. And I said, no, you called and you needed something. I was available. I answered the phone and I'm talking to you now and, and I we'll finish what we're doing and, and we'll get done what needs to be done urgently. It's not going to all be solved tonight, but we'll, we'll get there. And yeah. again, you know, do I want to be on at eight o'clock at night? Not necessarily, but will I? Yes, when needed. Um, whether that's a person in need or a policy is going to be passed or, you know, being able to be that shoulder when somebody's sad because they've lost a loved one because of, of a disability experience. Mm -hmm. We all have every, every realm from that beginning when you find out you've got a concern that's changed in your life, whether it's new from birth or it'd be new because it's new that you acquired it. And, you know, sometimes we're also all the way across the board Till the end of stage of life and everywhere in between and yeah um it just feels really great to know that i have an organization with a strong team there's we only have 10 of us here we keep trying to grow our pot wider so that we can keep uh getting larger and more engaged and uh, -huh. uh be able to do more because we know that we don't reach everybody that we'd like to um we don't have a waiting list anytime somebody calls us we try really hard to be able to get whatever you're needing right away or within that few days of when you've reached mm -hmm. out. But we we do service the four counties. So sometimes it can't be that second, but we we are on our way as soon as we can. Um, whether that be our coming to your county or you're coming to us or doing it on the phone or you know, here we are in the middle of COVID and we're doing DocuSign and trying to do uh -huh. as many things as we can in all different ways. Um, we also have um, a new contract that we have, a new fee-for-service program, 
a few of them actually, but um, one for sure that's brand new to us is the uh, emergency rental assistance program. So we're awesome. we're all dealing with what we're dealing with right now, and there's it's a lot a of folks right who now. need help. Oh, yeah. So oh, yeah. anybody with a disability or who's aging in our counties, we will assist you to to apply for the services that have been offered to all community members, including people with disabilities. But our segment is focused on individuals with disabilities. Sure. Yeah. The rental assistance is huge right now. Yeah. You know, with the, the moratorium being lifted and yeah, a lot of back pay and yeah. And confusion too, about how to navigate the system and apply for it too. It's like right. a big time, big time issue. And then there. of course, similar to, to Tony Sill and other Sills around the state and around the country, we, uh, have an employment program and a youth transition program. And both of those mm -hmm. are aimed at helping people to be trained and ready to go back out to the workforce. And so we partner in both of those situations with vocational rehabilitation. And we also have a small contract with our uh, Escambia County here locally. And we look at ways of connecting folks. So if you happen to be a person who's in school right now, um, House Bill 173 is all on your side mm -hmm. and yeah. you're 12 or older or your family who knows a 12 year old or older, make sure they know who the CIL is because, you know, that's supposed to come out in their individual education plan. You can go to vocational rehabilitation. You can ask to get services at a center. Um, right. You can also see center in general anyway. We are open, as I said, to everybody. And if you're an adult with disability and you're needing some additional assistance, same sort of thing. We're happy to, to work with you and work with VR to help make sure that you get all the options that will work for you. Um, or the Division of Blind Services is another, another uh, caveat to that. We work, as I, we said earlier, with the schools. Schools, CILs, and other organizations have an obligation to try to help make sure that you know what your choices are and that you can make the best choice for your life. It's not our choice. It's your choice. It's That's not our right. goal. It's your goal. But together, we're driven. We, yeah. we, can, we can take you where you want to go, or you can take us along on your journey. And we're happy mm -hmm. to be there together so that your journey to independence is what you want it to be. You got, you know, your center is so dynamic and active and having 10 staff doing all of that work is just phenomenal. Thank you. Well, also, I want to ask you what it's been like coming from Michigan to Florida <laughs> and all the uh, emergency management that has mm -hmm. accompanies it now. And, yeah. and as you're coming in, I know you've had some events in the last three years up there in the panhandle with storms hitting. And um, so what, what's your learning curve with that been all about? Like coming in from mm -hmm. Michigan, which I imagine you, you've got snow events and those kind of natural things going on. Mm -hmm. But what, what's the learning curve? Walk us through kind of uh, how you've been uh, assimilating to <laughs> the, that, that, that piece. <laughs> was I assimilating or was I like uh, dunk? <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. Uh, I, I would say it's I was- real. 
I was more dunked. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, sink or swim. You were a swimmer, right? <laughs> yeah, I was a swimmer. I was a competitive swimmer. I didn't know I was going to swim for yeah. my life, but not sure. quite, I didn't have to quite swim for my life. But the idea um, up in Michigan, um, we do have emergency management that we look at. We have more tornadoes up there. Sometimes you have flooding, certainly have ice storms or snowstorms. You think yeah. close for snow, not for a little bit of ice, not a little bit of ice on a bridge. We close for like, you know, a foot of snow. <laughs> um, but anyway, sometimes a little less than a foot, but the idea is we don't, we don't close for a, a skimming of, of, of yeah. ice. Um, and <laughs> so down here, you know, we have hurricanes, we have wildfires we have floods we have bridge collapsing we have we've had we've we've had more plagues than i can care yeah right now and of course we've all had covid and all been coping with covid and and changes that that all brings um so what happened for me is i was here and not too long after i joined the team we had hurricane michael yeah. And that thankfully, was, was we, a, yeah, we weren't directly impacted by Hurricane Michael, thankfully. I mean, we had some of our um, counties and areas uh, had some damage, but nothing like the Panama City yeah. region had. And, yeah, they got worked. But we did have quite a few folks um, from Hurricane Michael who were brought here to our county. And we are our, our counties, plural, but more in our uh, main county where our office is than in our counties and we needed to help assist and find housing and and all kinds of things for those individuals new health care find legal services that might have been needed or help to get advocates that could help them get back to panama for them to be able to get either their belongings afterwards or get back for uh, being able to meet their insurance folks, all those kinds of things. So various different kinds of things that way. From that particular incident, though, even if we had already had like done some preparedness, like be, having to cover everything inside the building, we never had to do that in Michigan. Um, here, we have to make sure everything's off the ground because it's flooding because we're so low yeah. um, from the hurricane and water can be an issue, but just covering mm. things with plastic, all those kinds of things. But from the Hurricane Michael, one thing that we learned and instituted is that anytime there's a threat of a severe disaster that we might know is coming is that we are printing off a database full of our contacts of the people that we work with. Mm -hmm. And so we can be back in contact with them to find out what's going on. Yeah. And we did have another hurricane and then we were able to we had Hurricane Sally, and there was a lot of people in our community impacted by that. We were able to. Yeah, that was a soaker. Yeah, that dumped a lot of rain. Yeah, yeah. It, it provided a, a lot of turmoil for a lot of people. And um, we were able to help support and reach out to make sure people were contacted. Similarly, Huge. we did the same for COVID, and we had both those plagues at the same time. And then we had a third one on top of that is uh, in Santa Rosa County, we all of a sudden had a wildfire. And so uh, we had all just left from work before that fire started. You know, we printed, we went online, we printed out any of our consumers who were in that area. We called everybody that were were in that uh, region and knock on wood, thank God, we were able to reach everybody and everybody was safe. So either some people had already left and were safe or other people said, well, it's not my quite my far, this far yet. And we said, well, please have your stuff packed and ready and make sure you know who you're going with. And of course, 
something that we do differently here. And it's really important too for up in Michigan, but we just didn't really talk about it the same way as we do here is mm-hmm. every person who walks in, we ask them, do you have an emergency plan? That's right. And what is your emergency plan? And uh-huh. how do we attain that emergency plan? And um, we, we send out information. Um, we talk about, you know, making sure that even though, um, you know, we were all taught for a long time, that you should have three days worth of stuff that, Really, the emergency responders need you to have a week's worth of stuff. Um, yeah. Make sure you have enough water. Make sure you have um, enough food, your med- medications. Have an alternative means of contact or of leaving. Um, you know, best plan is if you can get out of where you are before something's coming. It's always better than having to re- wait and rely on the emergency management folks to get to you. Hundred percent. Yeah you know, all the technology improvements that we've done since COVID from that pandemic, um, from the pandemic has been amazing. Like, I mean, you and I are doing this podcast, right? I don't even know if it was a thought for you before, before no, the pandemic. No, um, certainly no, we did not. do all the Zoom webinars we do. DocuSign, um, like you said. DocuSign, you I mean, able to look at, yeah. every, every staff member has a laptop now, so we can leave with the laptop um you know that it's going to be bad we take we ask the staff to take it home just because we're going to be closed because there's no power here you might have power at home or you know we have a way to still be reaching to the community um obviously just like the rest of the community we have to take care of yourself first and Mm -hmm. so if you are a person with disability and you know somebody else is in need it's great if you can help them, but if you don't take care of yourself first, you're not in the position to be able to take care of others. Yeah. You got to make sure that you take care of yourself so that you're best able to help take care of anybody else who might need something and yep. just great to be a whole community. It's great. It's great to, to know um, that we can make that impact to know that when somebody has something going on and we can reach out and, and cause a different opportunity to take place is just um, really wonderful for our staff team. And when I watch, you know, my staff, even sometimes when we take on new things, they're like, Oh, another new thing. Okay. (laughs) And when I say another new thing for the rest of the world who's hearing it, it's not like, okay, so do one more file in the cabinet or do one more person you're going to see. It's Carolyn keeps bringing other things around sometimes. Um, And that was one of the reasons I came down here from Michigan is that, the board here wanted us, wanted the CIL of Northwest Florida to expand. And we've been doing that. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, the, these prices, you know, it's cliche, brings these opportunities to be expansive. And how great it is to work for an organization and have staff that, as we're in these emergencies, like your center's a lifeboat. Mm-hmm. And and you all have, you know, people that are in the lifeboat that have paddles that can bring people on the boat and provide good direction to get them to a safe place. And and I love how you contact all your consumers, check up on them. What a wonderful thing an organization to do, not even being asked to be proactive in it. So kudos to you on ascending the emergency management in Florida learning curve and mobilizing your team to to just be such a or an oasis during a time where people you know need the help and support that they do between hurricanes and fires and 
you know, pandemics, you know, what's next? Locusts, right? I mean, it's Please just... no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know. People were, people were talking about cicadas recently. So we got yeah, yeah, it was a big season those, for right? it. Yeah, 20 year, 20 year thing. But I don't think they uh, bother too much. They're, they sound beautiful, by the way. But all right. So you do so much. You know, what, what inspires you? you? You're a very inspired, driven person. What, what is it? What fuels you? So um, I guess what fuels me most is being able to see that path of change, seeing that path of improvement, seeing that path of opportunity. You know, uh, one of the things that I, I think if one more elected official hears from me, which will happen next week, um, that mm-hmm. I say, you know, we, we need to have a fully inclusive, accessible infrastructure so that we can all move forward. And they're like, okay, here she goes. <laughs> um, but, you know, that piece of it, it really is very important. If, uh-huh. if you or I or Joey or Mary get to go do something, then so should Susie and Ronnie and Margot and Tommy, you know, I mean, sure. it's, it, it shouldn't be for some and not for all. It truly is advocacy for all. I guess it most directly ties back to watching um, grandparents who were very, very active in their community and parents who are active in their community, who raised a daughter who's active in her community, who hopefully raised children who will continue to be active in their communities as they're now both adult children. So that's the hope. And, uh, you know, when life is pleasant, right, it's wonderful. It's exciting. Sometimes, you know, the cookie crumbles or... The, the ball of cherries is a pit, yeah. you know. It's going to happen. Yeah. It's part stuff of happens. It is. It really. And yeah. if you can, if you can get on board with me, I, I'm, I'm ready to sail that ship to wherever we got to go. <laughs> I love it. I love so, it. You know, that's, um, and, and then to also be flexibility in that. We don't get to go from zero to 100. I, you know, yeah. we might, we might want to be there. Um, already, you know, I said that already about like the 24 seven transportation, right? Um, anywhere, any place anyone wants to go, the more places, more often that we can do it, the better, right? But taking even those baby steps, knowing that sometimes you take, and this is the same thing when you're helping somebody to, to come out with whatever might be their disability matter that they uh-huh. would benefit from knowing more about or sharing, or, or like you were saying for both of us, when we stop driving, you know, I mean, all of those pieces are, are steps. And sometimes it feels yeah. like you're trying to take steps forward and they might be backwards, but yep. sometimes because you had to go backwards, you picked up another new skill or another yeah. new step, which was actually an improvement. That's right. It's windy. It's a windy path. It's not always like a linear, you know, progression into things. Absolutely. Absolutely. What have you, what have you through your work and your service and, and kindness and generosity and repairing the world, what have you learned about yourself or about the world or, or what values or virtues have come and accompanied you know, your, your path that you're on here? You know, I know the word is used a lot more now than, than so I don't want it to sound just like it's a canned word, but um, being resilient, um, mm-hmm. not, not being defeated, really um, choosing to make things better happens at a price. And, and that price is, is effort, that price is caring, that price is knowing that what you're doing matters. 
knowing that every single one of us are part of the whole. We can't have hmm. all of us in the whole community with a W if we have holes in the community with an H. Huh. And uh, those holes are far too, too many uh, with H's. And, and, I, and I, want, I want the whole with a W. W-H-O-L-E is what I want to see, what I want to be part of. And um, it, it's going to take time to get there. And I'm willing to keep, keep working on that path. I just, somebody just asked me today, so when are you retiring? Uh, and it wasn't somebody related to CIL, but it's somebody <laughs> that's else. Sure that's who, in your vocabulary. <laughs> I'm sorry? That's not in your vocabulary. Not in my, I, I yeah. basically said that. I said, so it's not really in my, my vocabulary for multiple reasons. Um, one I had already shared earlier, which is I'm really wealthy in the heart and not so wealthy mm -hmm. in the pocket. Uh, mm -hmm. If somebody could make sure that the CIL got that, you know, winning lottery ticket of multi-million dollars, you know, it could be sooner than tomorrow. But, <laughs> um, yeah. you know, there, I could still be involved, but it, would, it might not be at 75, 80 hours a week. It might be, you know, a few less than that. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And uh, also... Just knowing that part of the reward is getting to reflect back, getting to know that because I said something or because I gave my time or because I cared long enough to listen or gave that person an opportunity to succeed at something at work or was able to transform how an organization provided its services mm -hmm. reflecting on all those pieces just is a really a proud piece for me i while i have no intention of going anywhere tomorrow god forbid that it was tomorrow and i wasn't here i i, I hope that places are in a better place they were than before I got there. So it's kind of similar, like, awesome. like the Brownie troop kind of thing or the Boy Scout troop kind of thing, where when you leave a place, you want it to be at minimum, at least as, as, as it was before you got there and hopefully better than when you were there before. And I honestly, and I'm not saying it in a arrogant manner. I, I, I truly believe that I give myself every day because I strive for that and, and I'm very thankful, grateful, appreciative of all the people in the world that I get to interact with, like Tony, like our fellow executive directors, like all of our staff at each center, like our community members who involve and engage with the center, et cetera, because I know that change, that happiness, that piece of that goal is being accomplished in some manner, some way, some place every single day. That's so powerful. I love your answer of resilient. And yeah, it might be a common word now used today, but it is such a key factor in being able to show up every day and to make a difference and to leave the world better than it was the day before. Yeah. I love how you talked about the W hole and the H hole. That's awesome. And you also connected it to that, you know, we're all part of a, you know, we're a smaller piece of a bigger world and we all have a role to play to make it a, a better place for everybody right. that is in it. And, and that's so important. And 
I think you have a very powerful message for our world nowadays where it is you know very divided and divisive and I you know I connect it back to what you were saying before like you know nearly 25% of people have a diagnosed disability if you don't have one you know someone that does if you don't have one you're likely going to get one and it doesn't matter about your race your uh, sexual orientation you know your gender identity uh, whether or not you believe in God or don't, or your political affiliation, or, or where you fall in your you know family tree, and all these other things, it doesn't matter. And and so it, it should cut across and unite all of us together to realize that you know we can come together in unity around disability and do the work to repair this world that it sorely needs. And so I hope it can be a time you know a place where we can all do exactly what you're saying, what you've shared with us, and just. You know, want to acknowledge you for being, you know, such a champion for this repairing of the world, for being somebody that does show up every day, that doesn't plan to retire, that lives every day to its fullest. In case tomorrow you don't have tomorrow, you do want to be able to to leave life in a way that is better than it was before. These are these are threads that are so important for us to be pulling on in our daily lives, and and I want to acknowledge you and look up to you for it and. You know, you're just so inspiring and it's infectious to hear you and to receive you and, and your center and, and the northwest part of Florida there, which is so beautiful, is so fortunate to have you in, in leadership position for your organization that embraces dignity, respect, ethics, integrity, diversity. Those are beautiful values. And uh, what, what a gem. What yeah. a gem that is. Thank you. And one of the things that we say uh is that you know this our CIL is always essential we're always engaged and we're always here to help and that that part of being essential long preceded COVID and will long extend past COVID and it takes the team it takes the village it takes all of us and sure does hopefully individuals who need our center will reach out to us uh, our our center can be reached at 850-595-5566. Our main inbox for an email is info, I-N-F-O, at C-I-L-N-W-F. That's C like center, I like independent, L like living, N like north, W like west, F like florida.org and also visit us on our website at clnwf.org or facebook and we would love to meet all of you and we're going to link up all those into our show notes as well so people can get a hold of your wonderful center so Great. last question for you here carolyn something yeah. we ask everybody what does independent living the independent life mean to you independent life to me means i do everything everybody else can do Sometimes I might do it differently, but I'm not, mm. I'm not prevented from participation. Barriers are not in my way. I can do what and when and how I choose to so that I can live my life to the fullest, whether that be here at the office, out at the beach, teaching a class, in somebody else's car, on a cruise ship, on a sailboat, wherever I might be on the be, in my home, anywhere that you want to be, sometimes by yourself, sometimes with a crowd. Right now, still in a crowd with a mask. Um, <laughs> but okay. uh, 
<laughs> being able to make those choices to live how and where I wish to uh, with, with the supports that I might need to. So whether it's the support of a driver, support of large print, support of insulin, support of using a white cane, whatever it is that I need at the time to be able to do that and live my life to its fullest. That's independence to me. That's awesome. Well, I am sure glad that you brought the Michigan strong attitude <laughs> here to Florida. You're definitely coming correct in that sense. And I'm, and I'm very happy that you're now in Florida bringing the repair, the generosity that this world needs. So Carolyn, thank you for being on here. And until next time, onward and upward. Take care. Thanks, Tony. Thanks for listening to the Independent Life Podcast brought to you by the Center for Independent Living of North Central Florida. If you like what you hear, please rate, review, and subscribe. And if you know anyone who might benefit from listening, share this podcast and invite them to subscribe too. For questions, suggestions, or if you have a story you'd like to share, please email us at cilncf.org at gmail.com or call us at 352-378-7474. Thanks for joining us. Until next time, support, advocate, and empower each other to live the independent life.